following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Heavenly Father, we've gathered today to worship you, and that means not just sing songs about you, but to offer our lives to you as living sacrifices because of what you've accomplished. We celebrate your resurrection each Sunday, but we really today uniquely remember that you are risen. And Father, that you are alive and that you have proven that you have conquered death and that you actually hold the keys to our future, our eternity. Father, we would pray that any here who don't know you personally or intimately, that they would be awakened to the reality of what it means to be born again what it means to be alive in Christ, what it means to know the risen Savior. And for those of us who are your children, may we celebrate today what you've done for us and what you're going to do for us, which we can hardly, hardly wait. And uh, we are excited and thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Today, we are celebrating... The resurrection of Jesus Christ. One more time, He is risen. And we are also celebrating our future resurrection when we get a perfect body. That's right, a perfect body. Uh, I read some quotes about the perfect body. Here's one quote. I keep my perfect body safe within a protective layer of fat. There you go. Another one, quote, every day I struggle between a perfect body And pizza, yes, a good struggle to have. Today, we are body crazy as a culture. Women always focus on the flaws in their body, and for some reason, men always think about themselves as being muscular. I'm not sure why that is. But interesting enough, you don't need to do that. Stop it, if you would, because understanding that you will get the greatest body imaginable, whether you're young or old, whether you are healthy or ruined, strong or weak, whether you are buff or blubbery, you can have a better body than you ever thought possible. No, I'm not speaking about the gym. I'm not speaking about diets or steroids or starvation. I'm talking about a perfect resurrected body. Now, I know some of you are older. As you get older, by the time our face clears up, our mind gets fuzzy. We get it, okay? But regardless, I hold out to you today a perfect body. For many, it's already coming to you because it's been secured by Jesus Christ. For others of you, you need to cry out for it by faith. But to get a picture-worthy body here, you've got to pay big bucks. But to get a perfect body there with no terminal acne, uh, no horrid age spots, no, co- <laughs> no corns, no bunions, no cancer, no constipation, yoo-hoo, no sickness, no weird proportions, you merely give your life to Jesus Christ. Part of parcel in being a Christian is that he promises to trade in your old body today for the ultimate body in the future. That is the promise of Scripture. This is not a sub-promise, a lesser promise. It is a great promise that is found in the Word of God. And it is guaranteed by your Creator and by your Redeemer in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, please open it to that passage. Follow along in your outline. 
whether electronic or paper, because Christ's resurrection guarantees your resurrection. In fact, your resurrection is this body, this old body, coming to life in a new form and reuniting with your soul, your immaterial part of you. And for several Easter's now, I've been exegeting through 1 Corinthians 14, 15, excuse me, and we now find ourselves in verses 35 to 49, which is the resurrection chapter. And in these verses, Paul describes an eternal, a perfect resurrected body of those who are born-again Christians. Now, there were some at Corinth who were struggling with the resurrection because they felt that the body was evil, wrongly, and therefore, who wants a resurrected evil body? But understand, Christ will prove that a new body is not only possible, but he'll tell us what it's going to look like. Look at verse 35 of chapter 15. Christ, through Paul, answers the question about your future body by saying, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So that's the question. And the word of God here refutes those who say that's impossible. You say, why bother? Well, uh, bodily resurrection was a big deal in the first century, and it is a big deal today as well. The Sadducees in the first century denied it. In fact, the Mars Hills philosophers sneered at a resurrected body. And Paul asked King Agrippa in Acts 26, why is it considered incredible among you if God does raise the dead? I mean, if I were to ask you here today, you'd probably find some people sitting around you right now who are struggling with the resurrection. They say, how can God resurrect a body lost at sea? How could God resurrect a body that's blown, been blown up in, a, in an explosion? Or how could God resurrect a body that is now cremated? How does that happen? Well, Paul fires back at you, skeptics, you. And he says this question, why is Is it more miraculous than creating them in the first place? In other words, if God can create life from nothing, why is it so tough that he can recreate it from nothing, right? You came from dust. Why is it impossible that he could recreate you from dust? That's the point. Practically, every dead body, no matter how well embalmed, eventually disintegrates into dust anyway. But that won't stop God from raising your body. So now in verses 36 to 49, in this particular describes the transformation, the uniqueness, the abilities, and the advantages of your resurrected body if you are in Christ. And again, all of this is because Christ rose from the dead. He is risen. And let's find out what your body is going to be like. Number one in your outline, the transformation for a perfect body. As we study this, you're going to learn a lot about Christ. You're going to learn a lot about our future eternity. So look what he says. How does Paul answer the question of verse 35? Well, he starts off pretty much in your face with verse 36. He says, you fool. Now, that's a gentle response, right, Paul? Fool means one who doesn't think. And some of the questions that are coming for the Corinthians are not people who have honest questions or with honest doubt or ignorance. They're, these are mocking taunts from proud know-it-alls. And Paul answers the question anyway with an illustration from the familiar wor world of agriculture. So he's asking and answering this from agriculture. Your bodily resurrection is not impossible since it continually occurs all the time in planting and sowing seeds in agriculture. Our bodily resurrection is similar to growing crops 
in three different ways. And again, this is not my argument. This is the Apostle Paul. First, the similarity is dying, dying. Read the rest of verse 36. Take a look at it. It says, that which you sow does not come to life unless it what? It dies. A seed, when planted in the ground, actually dies, okay? A seed, it decomposes as a seed and must cease to exist in its original form as a seed. In fact, before it can come to life in its final form as a plant. So just in growing crops in the resurrection, a body will have to die to give life to a new body. That's what the point is. So never forget, Christian, death is actually a blessing. It's actually a blessing. If you were not able to die, then no one would be able to take your punishment and die in your place. Why did God kick Adam and Eve out of the garden? Well, Genesis 3 tells us. It says, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever in their fallen state, in their sinful state. Man had to be able to die in order to have a redeemer die for him. Why can't fallen angels repent and find forgiveness from God? Because they can't die. So therefore, the perfect one, Christ, can't pay the penalty for their sin, which is death. No one can die for them, but because you and I as human beings, a human race, can die, then someone could pay the penalty for your sins and die on your behalf. Someone perfect would have to die, and that perfect one was Jesus Christ. Amen? He died to take your punishment, and that's why death is a blessing. But when you die, your body is put into the ground like a seed, where you're kind of planting your body like a seed, knowing that God will cause it to spring up in an incredible new body. So secondly in your outline, with growing crops, the resurrection of bodies, there's a difference between the original and the final form. Read verse 37, and it says, And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. What he's saying there is when planting the seed, it loses its identity as a seed and becomes more and more like the mature plant. So that wheat seed itself looks nothing like the mature wheat plant, but only after it stops being a seed does it become the mature plant the farmer harvests. So what he's saying here is really pointed to Jesus' glorified body, which was radically different from the one that went into the tomb. Did you know that? His body after the tomb was radically different than when it went into the tomb. His new body was no longer limited by time, by space, by material substance. During his appearances, he went from one place to another without traveling in any physical way. Remember those stories? I mean, those, those uh, basically scriptural events. Uh, understand, during his appearances, he went from one place to another. He appeared and disappeared at will. He entered rooms without opening a door. His earthly body had done none of those things when he was in his earthly body. None of them. The resurrection, though, radically changed Jesus' body, and at his return, your resurrection body will be radically different too. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah, thirdly, in spite of the radical differences, there is a continuity between the old and the new body, the old body that you have now and the new resurrected body. Verse 38, look at, he says, God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. The seed changes drastically, but it continues as the same life form. A wheat seed doesn't become a corn seed, right? 
And a corn seed doesn't become an alfalfa seed, nor will you, I believe, lose your personality. You won't lose your individuality later. God gives each type of seed a body of its own, whose identity continues into the grown plant. So what's he saying? After Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter that we celebrate today, no one recognized him. Did you notice that when you read through the Gospels? No one recognized Jesus until he revealed himself to them, and then they recognized him. Once he revealed himself, he was recognizable, and the disciples knew his face and acknowledged his wounded hands inside. Like that, your perfect bodies will have some continuity with the body that you have now. Your old body will die, and then at the resurrection, it will change form, and it will still be your body. You will still be you. You will not be E.T., you will not be a zombie, and you will definitely not be Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? Now, if God, having been doing this with plants for centuries, surely he can do it with you, right? So you say, well, well I look exactly like I do now. Well, we think, you know, big seed means big, you know, plant or whatever. Tiny seed means tiny plant, and brown seed means brown plant. Deformed seed means deformed plant. I tend to believe, totally my idea, you can throw it up, your God-given personality and strengths will continue. Not the sinful elements for you grouchy people, okay? But how God made you. If he made you funny, you'll continue that way. A thinker, an artist, sensitive, a leader, all those characteristics that make you, you, that, that make you unique will continue forever. Who you really are on the inside will be known and seen and obvious on the outside in your glorified body. God is not going to make another you. He's just going to make a perfect you. Internally, externally, the way you were intended to be. So we're all going to be the same? No. Actually, you're going to be incredibly unique. Point number two in your outline, the uniqueness of your perfect body, the uniqueness of your perfect body. Your new body is as unique as comparing the fish you ate for dinner and the substance of the stars. That's how unique it is. I, I, I just love this passage because you say, well, it's so much about the body. Yeah, but it's so much about Christ. It's so much about our eternity. It's so much about what you're going to enjoy in the future that you cannot help but get excited about it. And what he's saying here, you'll be incredibly unique. Look at verses 39 to 42. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another flesh of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, and another of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and stars even differ from stars in glory. So also, the resurrection of the dead. Now don't get weirded out, don't let this confuse you. There's one overall comparison here. Paul is comparing earthly bodies like men and beasts and birds to heavenly bodies like sun and moon and stars. He's also showing you the incredible uniqueness within each category, each category. So look at how unique each earthly body is. Look at verse 39. All flesh, look at he says, all flesh is not the same flesh. That parades the amazing variety of of earthly bodies that God has made. Just look around you for a second. Look down your row. Come on, go ahead. Look down. Look at the incredible variety and of people that God has created. You're going, yeah, really creative, God, really. 
In biological world, the flesh of men is absolutely distinct from the flesh of animals, the flesh of birds, the flesh of fish. All flesh is not the same, but look at verse 40. Look at what he says. He says, there are heavenly bodies which obviously differ from earthly bodies in their nature and form. And then in verse 41, he adds, the heavenly bodies are also vastly different from each other. You would agree the sun is different from the moon, and stars generate their own light, while planets and moons only reflect the light produced by the stars. Even star differs from star in glory and in nature. One astronomer tells us that uh, flowers, like flowers, stars have their own colors due to their temperature. When you look up in the December sky, you'll see Aldebaran, which is pale rose, Rigel, which is bluish white, and Betelgeuse, which is orange and yellow, my favorite star in the sky, Betelgeuse. Every star is different, just as every plant, animal, and human being is different. And God has an infinite creative capacity, including the capacity to make infinite variety, infinite. And also is the resurrection of the dead. Your perfect resurrected body will differ from your earthly body just as radically as heavenly bodies differ from earthly bodies. Some of you will be like the moon. You will be in the future a moony, all right? Some of you are like planets. You're a Mars. Some of you are used to be like planets, so you'll be like a Pluto, okay? And understand, that was for all you astronomers, uh, resurrection bodies will be as unique as the other forms of God creation. In fact, why would anyone think it different and difficult for God to recreate and to resurrect human bodies no matter what form they might be in? Why is it difficult? Understand, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 32, you find Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ, as, and they were distinctly individual, as they had been while they were living on earth, and they were recognized as individuals. They, they didn't then have resurrected bodies, but they were distinct beings of heaven, which one day will have distinct heavenly bodies, unique. They were recognized. God is, not was, but God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the living. He is not the God of the dead. And those patriarchs are not merely alive in heaven, but they are alive as the same persons they were on earth. In fact, in John 10, Jesus tells us he knows every one of his sheep by name, and that includes the ones on earth as well as the ones in heaven. Therefore, our resurrected bodies will be as uniquely ours as our spirits and as our names because Christ is risen. This all happens because Christ rose from the dead. See, so, okay, that sounds good. What can this body do? I'm so glad you asked. Number three in your outline, the abilities of your perfect body. The abilities of your perfect body. Read verses 42 through 44. 42 through 44. What you've got there is, is it sown a perishable body and it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a what? Okay, wait, wait. It is sown a natural body, it is raised in what? Spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. It's a body, but it's a spiritual body. And there are four contrasts of ability here that are found in what your body is now and what it will be later. 
first in your outline, 42, says it's perishable versus imperishable, and that has to do with, first, durability. First, durability. Your body is perishable, your body right now. Since birth, you have been deteriorating. Can you feel it? You're headed toward certain death. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20, what's it say? All go to the same place. All come from the dust, and all return to the dust. In celebration of Kansas, all we are is dust in the wind. That's right. Psalm 103, verses 14 and 16, For he himself knows our frame. God is mindful that we are but, say it, dust. Even if you're really healthy, really vibrant, as you get older, your body becomes weaker, more prone to disease and problems. Face it. Okay, face it. Will you face it? You are declining. You are fading. You are languishing. You're waning. You're withering. You're shriveling. You're decaying. You're drying up. You're wasting away. You're degenerating. Does that build you up? My British friends would say, oh, that's lovely. Okay? When you die, your physical decay is super rapid. In fact, in John eleven twenty nine 29, or 39, Martha objected to Lazarus' tomb being opened because she says, by this time, there will be a stench. Four days later, for he has been dead for four days. The purpose of embalming is to slow the deterioration of the body as long as possible. So we put you on display. But even the remarkable Egyptian mummification couldn't stop deterioration, couldn't prevent it. One of the tragic consequences of the fall was you know, when we fell into sin as a race of people, our bodies from that time on were irreversibly mortal, headed toward certain death. Without exception, every human being is born with a perishable body, every human being. I mean, the stats don't lie. You're going to die, right? But later, the resurrection body of the believer will be imperishable. Take a look at this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Look at what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be, what? Born again. To his great mercy has caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is what? Imperishable and undefiled and will not what? Fade away. Reserved for you in heaven. Reserved. Our new bodies know no sickness. They will know no decay, no deterioration, no death. You will be durable, hardy, sturdy, tough for all eternity. Do you feel tired right now? Tired of me talking, I'm sure. Are you falling apart? You won't be later. You won't be. None of that's going to happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, take a look at it. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Will there be any more death for you? No. No, there will not. Take a look at secondly in verse 43. Sown in honor, verse 43, and raised in glory. The second contrast has to do with, secondly, potential. Potential, secondly. At the fall, man's potential for pleasing and serving God was radically reduced by both body and spirit. You and I were originally supposed to display our creator in all that we do, 
And now, because of sin, instead of honoring God, we often dishonor him. You say, how? Well, what's sin? Get this right. Sin is violating God's law. It's when we go contrary to what God lays out in the Scripture. Sin is also basically missing and not reflecting and contrary to his character. Anytime we live, say, speak, even think anything contrary to God's character, it's sin. And we abuse our bodies that we were supposed to serve him with. And so even godly believers die with bodies in a state of dishonor, imperfection, and incompleteness, according to the Scripture. But later, verse 43 says that our imperfect physical body will be raised in glory. You see that there? Raised in glory. Throughout eternity, our new immortal bodies will be honorable bodies, perfected for enjoying and praising our Creator who made those bodies and our Redeemer who restored those new bodies. All that we've ever wanted to be for God, Christian, all that we've ever wanted to be for God and ever wanted to do for God will be fulfilled perfectly. Are you getting it? Everything that we've wanted to be and everything we wanted to do for God's glory will be perfectly, perfectly manifested and we'll be able to do. Look at thirdly, look at verse 43, sown in weakness and raised in power. The third contrast has to do with ability, third ability. Now our bodies are weak, not only in physical strength and endurance, but also in resistance to disease and harm. No one here is immune from breaking a bone, getting an infection, getting the flu, getting COVID, getting a cold, or from dying. We, we ought to minimize the, you know, the risks, obviously, as a steward of our bodies, but we can't completely protect our bodies from harm, can we? We can't, much less death. Our earthly temples are fragile. They're fragile. But later, our new bodies will be, it says here, raised in what? Power. Raised in power. We're not told what that power is going to be like, but we do know it's going to be so great, there's no comparison to what is now being experienced and possessed. We will no longer have to say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Never will you have to say that again. Anything our heavenly spirits determined to do, our heavenly bodies will be able to accomplish. Are you getting that? One more time. Anything our heavenly spirits determined to do, our heavenly bodies will be able to accomplish. That is awesome. Look at the fourth comparison. Read verse 44, if you would. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's a spiritual body. The fourth contrast has to do with the realm of existence. Fourth existence. Now our earthly body is strictly natural. It's the only realm in which it can function is here. And our current physical body is suited for and limited to the physical world. And even with the limitations caused by the fall and into sin, our present bodies are wonderfully suited for earthly living. They are. But that's the only realm in which they're suited. In this body, you can't see heaven, can you? You can see the sky, you can see the stars, but you can't see the third heaven where God dwells. You can't see angels. And yet times, you're not even aware in this body of the presence of God. But later, your new body will be raised a spiritual body. Your immaterial spirit now resides in an earthly body, but later your spirit your internal you, your immaterial you, will reside in a spiritual body. And in every way, you will be a spiritual being in both spirit and body, perfectly suited to heavenly living. 
for all eternity. Luke chapter 20 says it this way. Jesus says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to obtain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither can they die any more, for they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. In the resurrection, everything about you will be perfected for all eternity. Wives, everything you really, really liked about your husband will finally, finally come to fruition. Finally. Now, you will not be the same as angels, but you'll be like them in that you'll be perfectly equipped and suited for heavenly, spiritual, supernatural living. You will know, you will see, you will live perfectly in a spiritual world. You see, you ask, well, well, if I trade this old body in, what are the advantages to the new resurrected body? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That's number four in your outline, the advantages of the perfect body. The advantages of the perfect body. Look at the improvements. What are they? Well, when you compare the prototype of the earthly body, Adam, and you compare it with the prototype of the spiritual body, who is Jesus, the last Adam, you'll discover the advantages that Paul says. Take a look at verse 45. Verse 45 here. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus became a life-giving spirit. Verse 45, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. And Adam was created in a natural body, like the one we have. Adam was created with a natural body. So verse 45 adds, the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Christ is able to give us a spiritual body. Now, Romans 5 makes this incredibly important comparison. Take a look at it. Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's Adam. Because he disobeyed, we were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Only Jesus Christ can make you righteous. Only he can cover you in his righteousness. When your sin falls on Christ on the cross, when it's punished there by the Father, then he covers you with his righteousness, and that means that you can stand in the presence of a perfect righteous God forever, not because of what anything you did, but because Christ accomplished that by covering you in his righteousness. That's what he's saying in Romans 5. So Adam, there back to 1 Corinthians 15, we inherit our natural bodies through Adam. Through Christ, we will inherit our spiritual bodies. All the descendants of Adam have natural bodies. All the offspring of Jesus Christ will have spiritual bodies. They can function, I think, in both material and spiritual realms. And therefore, Christ's resurrected body was the prototype of all subsequent resurrection bodies. Get this, his resurrection that we're celebrating today shows us that our resurrection, what, what it will be like. His resurrection shows us what our resurrection will be like. That's why Paul points out the obvious in verse 46. Look at verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Every human being, starting with Adam, began life in a physical body. Jesus only began his incarnation with a natural body, but it was resurrected to a spiritual, eternal body. Read verse 47. The first man is from the earth. Get this now. Earthy. The second man is from heaven. Adam, the first man, was created directly from earth. 
We are dust, again, dust in the wind. Every way Adam was earthy, but Christ was called the second man, the second Adam, because he produced a spiritual race. He existed eternally before he became a man. He came from heaven. So Adam's tied to earth, and Christ is tied to what? Heaven. Adam was tied to earth. Christ is tied to heaven. So Paul continues in verse 48, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Because our tie to Adam, we're part of the earthy because of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. We become part of those who are heavenly. All because of Christ. One day our natural bodies from Adam will be changed into our heavenly bodies from Christ. Let me say it again. One day your natural body from Adam will be changed into a heavenly body from Jesus Christ. Read verse 49. Take a look at it. Just as we have been born the image of the earthy, so also bear the image of the heavenly. Just as we will exchange Adam's natural body for Christ's spiritual body, so we will also exchange Adam's image, come on, stay with me now, to Christ's image. You say, wait a minute, what's that mean? Image means icon. And and it refers to the face that's etched into a coin. Now, there are some relatives of mine that say that I look like my grandfather. Okay, not my dad, my grandfather. Rene de Smit, he's a war hero from a long line of Belgian police chiefs. Well, I'm telling you, I look at a lot of pictures of my granddad. I don't look like him, okay? But whoever I resemble, in verse 49 says, one day I'm going to bear the image of the heavenly. Do you see that? I'm going to bear the image of the heavenly. Are, are you ready for this, this advantage? Would you please for a second grab onto your seat because you're going to need to grab onto your seat when you hear this. I'm not kidding. You and I are going to have more in common with Jesus than we're going to have with Adam. We're going to look more like Christ than Adam. One more time. We're going to look more like Christ than Adam. We're going to be more like the resurrected Christ than we'll be like Adam. That's incredible. From Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, we get the idea of the greatness and the power and the wonder of what our own resurrected bodies will be like. Again, Jesus appeared and disappeared. Aren't you going to love that? Tired of the conversation? I'm gone. (laughs) Reappearing again in another place? Maui, for sure. Uh, He could go through walls and close doors. He also could eat and drink and was not concerned about gluten. He could sit, he could talk, and he could be seen by those he wanted to appear to. Come on, this is incredible what he's done. He was remarkably the same and yet remarkably different. Just as with Jesus, our bodies, which are now perishable, dishonored, weak, and natural, later will be raised into bodies that are unbelievably imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual, and spiritual, Our bodies which hinder our service to God now, our bodies which hinder our service to God now, later will be the perfect vessel of ministry. You say, how? Get this. Get this. We'll have his power to serve him, and we'll have and his own glory in which to magnify him. Let me say it again. Are you getting this? We'll have his power to serve him, 
and will have his own glory to magnify him. Would you read Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 one more time? It's there in your outline. Take a look at it. It says, Christ will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his what? His glory. Though we can't even imagine what that will be like, we will be like Jesus. We will be more like Jesus in our resurrected form than we will ever be like Adam. Way more. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, As children of God, it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we will know when he appears, we shall be what? Like him. Would you take this home? Take this home with me, would you? The truth of a common, guaranteed resurrection creates two responses, two main responses. One is, for some of you, a crisis moment. A crisis moment. That's the moment when you realize just how much trouble you're in with your creator. Just how out of sync you are with the God who made you. That you're living your life your way, not his way. That you're going your own way. You've kind of come up with maybe a pseudo little religion, but it's really not genuinely born again. You haven't been made new by Christ. You can receive the perfect body for eternity. You can be eternally happy with God forever in heaven. You will be resurrected and enjoy all of God's promises, but only... If you turn from your sin and entrust your life to Jesus Christ, only. You have, and I have, lied, you've stolen, you've lusted, you've been harsh, you've been proud, you've been selfish, and that was just this morning. That's a given. All those sins and more come from your fallen sinful nature. You sin because you're a sinner by nature, and your sin separates you from God. Let me put it to you bluntly. Your sin, God is angry with. He is. Your sinfulness is so bad, you can't fix it by living better or getting a little religion in your life or showing up to church. You can't fix it. God is too holy. Every other religion on the planet is telling you you can fix it. Christianity, true Christianity, out of the Bible says you cannot fix this. You cannot be made right with God in any effort on your own. But... The God who made you loved you enough to try to, to, not try, but to accomplish the fixing of your problem. He punished his son, Jesus Christ, in your place for your sins. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, suffered and then willingly died on the cross to pay the wages of sin, which is death. And then having no sin of his own, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and he now lives to future raise his children to live with him forever but if you don't turn from your sin right now in repentance if you don't depend on christ by faith and relying on him with your life then you will spend eternity in torment for your rebellion christ is the only way christ is god who became a man christ is your creator christ is your king christ is lord listen understand this one day, whether you believe in him or not, you will face Jesus Christ and you will bow. You will either bow now before him as your Lord or you will bow later for all eternity. Understand the crisis is you can't continue living for yourself and be right with God and enjoy heavenly joys or a resurrected body. You must cry out to Christ to give you a new heart. You must cry out to him that you would have a heart that wants to follow him and please him in all you do, that you will change your marriage, it will change your parenting, it will 
alter the way you react to trials and difficulties, but you must exchange all that you are for all that he is. Do not ignore this crisis moment or you will regret it for all eternity. Not just now, forever. Cry out to Christ to save you from your sins. That's the message of the resurrection. It's proven. He true. It's true. He rose from the dead. The new body is also a Christian motivation. A Christian motivation. Whatever happens in our present bodies, whether healthy or unhealthy, beautiful or plain, short-lived or long-lived, indulged or disciplined, strong or weak, operated on or never touched, these bodies are not our permanent bodies. Aren't you glad for that? Come on, the older that you get, you're like, oh, man. I am really glad. I'm more excited about the resurrection body than I've ever been. Seriously. You know what? We shouldn't hang on too dearly to our earthly bodies. We, sh we shouldn't fret over them. We should invest more time in our inner character than our outer crust, right? The hope of a new body should motivate us. The hope is that really all that matters in this life is what's done for Christ. So all that we do can be for His glory. And in your future, it should affect the way that you love your spouse, the way you love your kids, the way you parent them, the way you raise them, the way you work at your job or attend school, spend your money, serve at church. His resurrection makes all the difference. In fact, Christ is true. He alone conquered death. Why, why in the world will you rise from the dead? Because He is what? Risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again that we could look at your word. And Father, actually, I, I, be excited about what's waiting for us. Father, sometimes we, we've so minimized this element, and yet you make such a big deal of it in the Scripture. Maybe it's our thinking that's wrong, that we should be more excited about this spiritual body, this new resurrected body, that that's what you were demonstrating to us when you rose from the dead and you accomplished our redemption that we have an incredible future. And it was guaranteed because you rose from the dead, we know it's true, and we can put our hope in that. And it could change the way we live now, knowing that we have an incredible future with you. We pray, Father, that if there are any here who don't know you, that you'd begin to, to awaken them, that you would shake them, that you would help them to see their desperate need to turn from their sin. Father, there are some here who have been Christianized They've gotten a taste of Christianity. They've come up with their own form of Christianity, but not the one you revealed about yourself in your word. Pray that they would submit to your word, to your will, and find true life in Christ. And for the rest of us, may we celebrate the incredible hope that we have of a future that is just right, and it's spiritual, and it's without pain, and without any of these limitations. And it's for all eternity, with joy and love flooding our souls. We're so thankful for the promise we have in Christ because you are risen from the dead. We pray that you would work in our hearts now as we sing and as we honor you with our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. 
It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.